Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's open them to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to read verses 22 to 33 here in just a bit. A few weeks ago, I was speaking to a couple, and uh, we were going over some things that were going on in their life. And um, I was, of course, trying to encourage them in the Lord. And uh, we have every reason to be encouraged in the Lord. God can do anything. And uh, in that conversation, they brought up a question. They just simply asked, can God do that? Can God do that? And I have, my answer was, of course God can do that. Uh, he can do anything. He, he's not restricted by uh, our boundaries. He can do anything. He's omnipotent. He's a miracle maker. God can do anything. And I got to thinking that maybe sometimes we misunderstand what miracles are. We, you know, there are certain things we just know are miracles. The, the blind can see, the deaf can hear. But miracles uh, are something wonderful. Timothy Keller, in his book called The Reason for God, writes this. We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of natural order. But Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem what is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we want is coming. That's an amazing thing when you think about it because any miracle that Jesus performs, he's really going back to the Garden of Eden where we've been studying in Sunday school and he's bringing things back to the way they should be. And it's also at the same time, it's a reminder of heaven one day when there'll be no sickness, no suffering, no disease. None of these things will exist. So miracles are a very special thing. Randy Alcorn, who wrote a book entitled Heaven, wrote this, Jesus' miracles provide us with a sample of the meaning of redemption a freeing of creation from the shackles of sin and evil, and a reinstatement of creaturely living as intended by God. But I continued to think about that question that this couple asked me all week. Can God do that? And my answer is still yes. God can definitely do that. He's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. He can do anything. There is nothing too difficult for our God. Jesus told his disciples, didn't he, that with God, all things are possible. Everything is a possibility when God's on our side. Even when something is maybe not probable, with God for us, it's possible. And we need to remember that. But there's this also. The answer to the question, can God do that, may be in part up to us. That's hard to believe, but let me try to explain that this morning. I want to talk to you about miracles, and I want to talk about the situations, first of all, in which miracles come into our lives. The situations when it's right for God to step in and do something miraculous. And then I want to turn that question around. Can God do that? And I want to challenge us with some questions. Because the question really isn't, can God do that? Because we know that he can. But there are some important questions that we need to answer. And so let's begin reading in the passage the story of Jesus walking on the water. That's that's a great miracle, isn't it? That's probably my favorite miracle in all the Bible. And uh, by the way, not only did Jesus walk on the water... But Peter walked on the water also. They were uh, excited about seeing him. And Peter says, Lord, if that's you, can I come? And Peter actually stepped out and walked on the water too. And so that is amazing. And I think that's a, a sign to us that not only does God do great things, but if we follow God and we trust in him, we're able to do great things. Not on our own power, 
but on his power. So let's read Matthew 14, 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come walk on the water, to go to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Aren't you glad that when we begin to mess up, we can always cry out to God, Lord, save me? That even when we've been following Christ and maybe we take our eyes off him and and get out into the world a little bit and when we begin to go under in life, we can always turn to God and say, God, save me. And he's able to pull us out of whatever mess we found ourselves in. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And the boat uh, and those that are in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. That's an amazing story, isn't it? An amazing account of a miracle. Can you imagine being there that day? Maybe in that boat, and I, I like boats. Up north, we used to get in the boat all the time at night, and then most of the time it was still there, but there were a few times when we had little storms out on the water when the wind would blow. But can you imagine being in that boat that day with the storm that he describes that is frightening the men in the boat and seeing Jesus come walking across the water? What a, what a display of God's power, Amen that he rules the sea, he rules the wind, he rules the world. And he comes walking across that water. And of course, it scared the disciples. And it would probably scare us too, right at first. They looked out and they said, is it a ghost? And that would probably be our response. But this was not something that one of them happened to see in their mind. You know, if we saw something miraculous, sometimes we think, did did that really just happen? Am I really seeing what I think I'm seeing? And there's times when I've looked at Kathy from time to time and said, did that really just happen, Kathy? And she's, yeah, that really happened. And they're all in the boat and they all see the same thing. So this is real. Jesus is walking on the water and he comes to see them and they are amazed by what they have seen. They've witnessed a miracle. And we want to experience what the disciples experience too, don't we? We want to see miracles in our lives. We want to see God move in great and miraculous ways in our lives. And there are different situations in which he moves. Mark Batterson, in a book called Grave Robber, wrote this, and I think it's appropriate for what we're saying this morning. He said, everybody wants a miracle. We just don't want to be in a situation where we need one. You can't have one without the other, he says. Sometimes what we perceive as our problem is really God setting us up to do something miraculous in our lives. It's about training ourselves to see those problems as opportunities so that God can intervene. And so even though we all want these miracles, we understand this morning that there's a certain situation that we have to get into before we see the hand of God move mightily. If we're not in trouble, God doesn't need to do anything really miraculous in our lives. If you've got a a million dollars in your bank account today, I doubt very seriously you're going to go home and say, God, help me pay that $20 water bill increase next month. 
But when you're living check to check and you say, God, I I don't know how this is going to happen, and he provides, you say, I've seen a miracle. When you're healthy and nothing is wrong with your body, we we just kind of coast along, don't we? It's when we're sick. It's when we have something wrong with us that we pray to God and we want a miracle. And we want God to do something in our lives. The disciples were in a situation that day that they needed a miracle. Think about where they were. The boat is a long ways from land, it says. And this body of water that they're on was probably about five miles, is the estimation, across. So that's a big body of water. And John's gospel records the same account. And he says that they had rowed three to four miles before Jesus appeared to them. They've come a long ways, but they've still got a long ways to go in the middle of the night. So they've come a long ways. We might be able to relate to the disciples in that situation, couldn't we? Uh, There are times when we have gone a long way. Maybe word it this way. There's times when we've gone as far as we can go on our own. There are times when we're tired, when we're worn, when we're weary, when we don't think that we can go on. And at those times, we most need Jesus to come and do something in our lives. We need his power to get us to the other side of whatever it is we're going through. And so we struggle to to keep going. We struggle to get through what we're going through. And wouldn't it be great to know that we serve a God that does great things and he'll come meet us where we are and he'll take us the rest of the way. We've all had those moments in life, haven't we? Those times when we just don't know, can I go on? And then when you think about the boat, it was being tossed, the scripture says, around in the waves that had been created by the headwind. Because it was such a large body of water, it was not uncommon for that body of water to have huge storms that would arise. And they would arise rapidly. One moment, the sea would be still. The next moment, a few clouds would stir. And then it would be all force winds blowing like crazy everywhere. And that's where they were. And we can relate to that too if we look hard enough. Because how many times have we been going through a period of life where everything seemed to be smooth sailing? I mean, just everything we did succeeded. Everywhere we went, things were fine. There was no sickness. There was no uh, financial needs. We were getting raises at work. Our kids were doing great. Everything was fine. But just like the disciples that day, isn't it amazing how quickly storms can rise in our lives? How quickly that those smooth waters can turn into troubled seas all around us. And that's the situation they were in. And that's the situation that's just right for a miracle. Not only that, but the Bible says it was the fourth watch of the night. And the Jews and the Romans would take the evening, the nighttime, and they would divide it into four watches of three hours apiece. The first would begin at 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., then 9 to midnight, and and eventually there would be one from midnight to 3 a.m. And then the Scripture says their watch was the fourth. It was from 3 a.m. till the sun would rise. And we've all heard the saying, haven't we, that the darkest hour is just before the sun appears. This was a dark time, the darkest time of the night, and we understand that. Haven't we been in some very dark times in our lives? And if you haven't been there, you will. Just wait. Life will take you to those dark moments, those times when you think your world is ending, you think everything is lost, you think it'll never be light again in our lives, and yet God is showing us that this is the situation that's just right for a miracle. And we've got to know that in these worst of times, God is going to do something great in our lives, that he, he can do all things. 
And so when this couple asks, can God do that? Certainly he can. And maybe what we're going through and maybe the struggles that we face are just reminders that the situation is just right for a miracle. When it feels like I can't go on, suddenly changes have brought storms into my life. I'm facing the darkest moments of my life. That's when the situation is right for a miracle. Is he able to do the impossible? I think he is. Is he able to rescue me from all of my storms? Is God able to make me lie down in green pastures, as Psalms 23 said? Is he able to lead me beside the still waters? Is he able to restore my soul when it's discouraged? Is he able to lead me and keep me safe when I go through the valley of the shadow of death? God can do all things. He had the answer, 100% yes, God can do all things. But here's the real questions. This morning, I want us to challenge ourselves with some real questions. And the first one is this, do I really want God to do a miracle in my life? Do I really want God to do a miracle in my life? Jesus challenged a crippled man one day who was waiting by the pool of Bethesda. And he challenged him with a question that seems crazy. Let's read. He says in John 5, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And look at verse 6. He says, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that was the Sabbath. And at first, when you look at that question, he asked him, it seems odd, doesn't it, that Jesus would look at this crippled man laying in a place where people went to be healed, and he'd ask him, do you, do you want to be healed? Of course he wanted to be healed, right? But it's not so clear. In fact, I think it was a great question then, and it's a great question today. Because the, rea- the truth is, this man's life, if Jesus healed him, was going to be radically changed, wasn't it? When you think about it, if Jesus healed him, he would leave his bed behind and he would walk. And that was something he hadn't done for 38 years. Can you imagine how that would change his life? He would no longer depend on others to come and and give charity to him to meet his needs. For For maybe the first time in his life, he would need to work and take care of himself. More would be required of him because God had done something miraculous in his life. And the reality is there were some there that probably never wanted to be healed because they'd got accustomed to where they were. As miserable as some people's lives conditions seem, the truth is some people get very comfortable with the way things are. Their homes are chaotic. Things aren't right. They fight. They fuss. They're always in trouble. They're always trying to keep their head above water. And yet, sometimes when you try to help them out, we run into folks like that that really don't want help. As miserable as they are, they're comfortable there. They'd rather stay with what they know than change and have to face the unknown. And so the reality is there's some people in the church sometimes that just go through the motions. They're here They come to church, they know God, but maybe they don't want God to really radically change their lives. That's hard to believe, isn't it? But not everybody that goes to church wants to have Jesus do a miracle in their life. 
Because if God reaches down and he does a miraculous work in our life, guess what? Our life's going to change and more is going to be required of us. If God saves us and he does the miraculous in our life, there may be things we have to give up. There might be things that we have to start doing. And we look at that and we say, I'm not quite sure that we can do this. But the Bible says, to whom much is given, much shall be required. If we want God to do the miraculous, understand that it's going to change us and it's going to make some changes in our life that we're going to have to deal with. Things will put away and things will become new. What is it that we want God to do in our lives today, though? What's the miracle that we need? And are you really ready for your life to be changed? Because when God reaches down, it will change. And so the question is not, can God do that? The question probably is, do I really want God to perform a miracle in my life? And the next question is this, do I really believe that God can do anything? He can do it all. When you think about these these questions, when you think, do I really believe that God can heal? Yes, I believe God can heal. He may not choose to heal. He may have something entirely better for me, but I have to believe that he can do that. He may not give me everything I want in life. The truth is, sometimes he may not give it to me, and he may give me something way better than what I ever wanted. But I still have to have the faith that says, God, I believe that you can really do this. I believe, God, that you can do anything. There was a father who came to Jesus whose son had been possessed. And some speculate that maybe he had epilepsy. Others say he was demon-possessed. But in Mark chapter 9, it records a great miracle there. And it says, And they brought the boy to him, to Jesus. And when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at his mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. That's a feeling that I've had before, where we have this great faith in God, and yet there's still this lingering doubt in us. We want to believe, but our flesh just won't let go and let us completely put our trust in God. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. If we're going to ask God to do something big in our life, we've got to really believe that he's able to do that. Do you really believe that God can provide for you and your family? Do you think he can meet all your needs? Do you believe that he can restore relationships and families? Do you believe that he can heal sicknesses? Do you believe he can keep you safe or keep your children safe? That's one of the great challenges that we as parents face sometimes is we worry and stress about our kids when they leave home or when they're out on the town, and yet we have to trust that God can take care of them. But I wonder, are we guilty maybe of praying like this father did? Did you catch what he prayed? He said, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If. And Jesus' response was, if you can believe. It's not about, can I do this, Jesus was saying. It's about, can you believe that I can do this? 
And he said, all things are possible to the one who believes. So the question isn't this morning, can God do this? The question is, do I believe that God can do anything? It needs to be turned around back on us. He can do it, but do I believe that? And the third question is this, am I willing to do whatever he tells me to do? If I expect God to do miracles in my life, he expects obedience from me. If I want God to put my home back together, if I want God to to put things back together in my life, if I want God to do a miracle in my life, I have to be willing to obey him. One of the great miracles of the Bible is found in John 2. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And what did they do? They filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it out. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though his servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Listen, God can do anything. The wine is out, and and they're saying, hey, we need a miracle here. And so Jesus' mother says, do whatever he tells you, and it'll be okay. I think God will do miracles in our life if we'd be more obedient to him. It seems like sometimes we, we want to come to church and we want God to do the miraculous, but we're unwilling to surrender our lives to him. Today, most people want miracles in their life, but they want to pick and choose when and where they'll listen and be obedient to God. Think about the blind man who had his sight restored. Jesus gave him specific directions to draw. Remember the story? He, he's blind and Jesus comes to him and he's wanting to be made healed. The disciples had had a discussion about why he was blind. We always want to blame somebody for when things go wrong, don't we? And so the disciples said, Lord, is he blind because his parents sinned or because he sinned? Jesus said, neither. He's blind so that I could be glorified today. He was blind for a purpose so that today I could do a miracle in his life. And so Jesus reaches down and he takes some spit and he puts it into the dirt And he takes that mud that he makes and he rubs it on the blind man's eyes. And then he tells him, go now and wash in the pool of Siloam. And guess what the blind man did? He went and washed in the pool of Siloam. And when he washed away the mud that was on his eyes, his vision was restored. You just got to ask yourself a few things. One, did, did Jesus really have to go through that ritual to heal the man? Did he have to make mud from his spit and rub it on the guy's eyes. He didn't have to do that. Jesus could have looked at him and just said, your vision is restored. That's what he did to the crippled man. He just said, get up and walk. But he went through a process here. Regardless, he could have done it without. And did the man really have to go and wash in that certain pool? Was that pool magical? Was there medicine in it that would cause him to see? No. But he was told to do it by Jesus, and he had to be obedient. And I believe with all my heart, and I think you probably do too, that if the blind man had walked away that day and not gone to the pool, he would still be blind. He had to be obedient. And sometimes the reason God's not doing great works in our life is simply because we're not being obedient to God. We're not serving him. 
We're not surrendered to him. We're not willing to do what he asks us to do. When God looks at us and says, go and do this, we need to do it. When he says we need to be in church, we need to be in church. When he says to read our Bibles, we need to read our Bibles. When he says pray always, we need to be praying always. We need to be obedient to the God who works miracles in our lives. This man would have missed a great miracle if he would not been obedient that day. So once again, the question isn't, can God do it? Can God do that? The question is, am I willing to do whatever he tells me to do? And the next question is this, and this is maybe the most important question of all this morning. Have I overlooked God's greatest miracle? Sometimes we get so busy looking for these special events. Man, we want to see somebody's sight restored because it happened in the Bible, and so we want to see it today. We want to see the crippled walk again. Why? Because it happened in the Bible, and so we want to see it today. We look at those miracles in the Bible, and we say, why don't we see them today? And we want that so bad that many times hucksters have come along, and they have deceived people, performing fake miracles. And the reason they can do it so easily is because we want to see those miracles so badly. And make no mistake, God still does those things. He still heals the sick. He still causes the blind sight to be restored. He can still take a a doctor's report on your heart, and within a few months, God can have it turned around, and the doctor say, I don't know what happened, but you look way better than you ever have. He could take a cancer that the doctor said, hey, there's no way, this is, we can't do anything, and he can put it into remission and keep us moving forward. God can do these things. He is a miracle-working God. But I think sometimes we're so wrapped up in those things that we miss the greatest miracle of all. And that is when God reaches down into somebody's heart and changes them. That's a miracle. The truth is, many things that we look at as, that's the miracle I want to see, with technology and the doctors and science today, many doctors can do things that we would describe as miraculous. But God has a part in that too, doesn't he? God gives us the intellect and he gives us the ability to discover and to search. But doctors can do these things. It's amazing what doctors can do today. But there's one thing that nobody except God can do, and that is reach down into our heart and do a work there. Dallas Willard said, sometimes we get caught up in trying to glorify God by praising what he can do, and we lose sight of the practical point of what he actually is doing. What is God doing? We cannot overlook that. Think about it. God takes a a sinful man or woman, and he forgives their sins. And only God can forgive sins. Not only does he forgive their sins, but he changes their heart. David describes his heart as being washed, being cleansed, being made white as snow. uh, Several passages refer to the fact that God gives us a new heart. He takes a heart of stone that's within us, and he turns it into a heart of flesh. He gives us a soft heart. He gives us a desire to know him. God changes us. One of my favorite verses says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. That's a miracle. And we, we live in a time when we walk among people who've had miracles worked in their lives. People that if you'd have known them before Christ, you would never even dream that they would be where they are today. 
People that if you look at them now, you couldn't imagine where they came from before Christ. Because that's how radically God changes people's lives. Don't miss the greatest of all miracles, the greatest miracle of salvation. And this is the miracle he makes us new. He makes us new. We're sometimes so preoccupied with those things, though, that we overlook that. Our lives begin to change once God has changed us. Miracles begin to take place once God has done a miracle in our life. So we can continue struggling, tired and weary, and feeling like the world is against us, like there's no hope, or we can look out on the horizon and we can see Jesus walking miraculously on the water towards us. We could be like Peter, who said, Lord, if that's you, can I come to you? And of course, the Lord said, come. And Peter stepped out of the boat, and he walked on the water. This morning, God wants to do miracles in our lives. It's not him, God, it is.